listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. some respects we can say that being able to sit still is a test of our I want to say spiritual maturity I don't like using that because we can tend to get really hierarchical and that is just great a great area for our small self to kind of cling to you know oh I'm not quite there yet or I am already there I think I'm already there you know whatever all this stuff can kind of get in the way of our work but I think it's, it's very interesting when we can just sit still, even if our mind is going crazy, even if we're doing the sitting instead of letting the sitting do us. It's very interesting if we can allow for the stillness to open that in us which is closed. That's where kind of the rubber hits the road in any type of authentic spiritual practice. It's when we are able to literally just allow for what is to permeate us. And the little test for our, if you will, our spiritual maturity, I heard this said once, I thought it was so cool. The test is whether or not you can realize that you have absolutely no control. (laughs) Sometimes the news reminds us of that. So funny, last week when, when we came in and, you know, the market had taken just this big dive, I thought that was bad. <laughs> and then today I, I, I told my daughter as I was walking her around the backyard, it says, I will never retire, I will never retire. You know? <laughs> um, and all, all kidding aside, it's, uh, we have reminders on a daily basis that we are not in control. And our ability to get comfortable with that chaos, that's really the kind of one of those little litmus tests or the little measures of our maturity. And that maturation process has nothing to do with the amount of hours you've spent on the cushion. It has nothing to do with the amount of time you spent in the monastery. It has nothing to do with any of the teachers with whom you've associated yourself. It has nothing to do with the teaching, the brand. It has everything to do, believe it or not, with a rather quiet but elegant decision to commit 
to commit to a practice of being still, of being quiet. And the, the most bizarre thing kind of happens in that space of commitment. Suddenly then everything turns into a rather miraculous and beautiful choice. I've spent some time talking about this, uh, but for some reason that word just kept throwing itself my way. Choice. 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 We always have a choice. And those choices become infinite in their expanse the minute we recognize that we spend most of our time caught with blinders on. We spend most of our time as one of those uh, jaunty horses, one of the, you know, the horses I'm talking about that'll take you around the park and they have the blinders on and so forth. That's the way we spend most of our life, really bearing a burden and responding to a cracked whip. Then something happens, okay, when we recognize that that's not who or what we're about, nor is it the path that we're really on. We start seeing more the minute, again, we start letting stillness in. And this happens just by sitting in a way, doesn't have to be the way I'm, you know, positioned here, but sitting in a way where you, your body is supported. <clears throat> And that as best you can, your, your spine can be straight so that you are physically meeting your life without being pushed one way or the other or leaning too much on one thing or another. The minute we can kind of do that and watch our mind as it goes crazy and just go, oh, wow, there's a crazy mind. That watcher is stillness. That watcher is it's, uh, I would describe it as there's a certain feeling, a certain sense that this watcher can begin to uncover. And the sensation of it, the physicalized experience, is one of almost floating. Which would explain, while well, during meditation, while I open my eyes, I can see several of you off the ground periodically. It's kind of a... <laughs> It's a physical sensation of being supported as if uh, on a boat, on the ocean. That's step one. Step two is you realize that that center of gravity that feels separate from the ocean begins to dissolve and you become oceanic. You become the ocean that is supporting not only the boat that you perceive to be you, but all things. And that realization, that realization happens in a flash. And for those of us who have developed a degree of spiritual maturity, when that begins to kind of unfold, that flash opens up an infinite realm of possibilities. I wanted to read something real quickly to you that a student sent me today. Uh, it comes from Krishnamurti. Uh, a gentleman who quite obviously deeply realized he had some uh, pretty significant issues creep up around his teaching and around his students and so forth. And I mean, obviously history is filled with situations like that, but the place from which he spoke was deep. 
And he calls this truth comes in a flash. He says truth or understanding comes in a flash and that flash has no continuity. It is not within the field of time. Do see this for yourself. Understanding is fresh, instantaneous. It is not the continuity of something that has been. What has been cannot bring you understanding. I want to say that again. What has been cannot bring you understanding. As long as one is seeking a continuity, wanting permanency in a relationship, in love, longing to find peace everlasting, and all the rest of it, one is pursuing something that is within the field of time and therefore does not belong to the timeless. This is from the, uh, his, his work, The Book of Life. When we are comfortable with the timeless, when we are open totally to the now, to this present moment, and we just rest in the not knowing, we just open ourselves to wonder. We open ourselves to the great question, whatever that might be. The maturation unfolds. So this idea of choice is so powerful and so elemental and so bottomless in its scope and its ability to help us uh, as, we, as we walk the path. Um, there's a tendency as we, we, we begin our work to think that this practice is going to take us someplace or take us somewhere or give us something extra when in fact it's just the opposite of that. It takes us precisely nowhere. It gives us precisely nothing. Instead, the stuff we don't need kind of falls away. The uh, stress that we may uncover in our lives, it may show up in our lives, we start to see through it. We start to see that it's actually our slow but steady clinging to some future fantasy that has not happened yet. Now, there may be reason to think about it. Uh, there may be all sorts of stories that we have in association with whatever this thing is, but we start to see what our stress is. And when we see what our stress is, when we see what our anxiety is, when we see what our fear is, when we see that all of this relates to some future event or mind creation that has not happened yet, our relationship to it can change. And the change of that relationship opens in us this ability to choose going towards that, what we might call a small self-orientation, or choosing to be aware of it. And in the awareness of it, all of its inertia gets slowed down. It's as if quite literally the wheels come off of that train. And the same thing happens with our past. 
we might recognize something from our past brings up tremendous pain. Or we avoid things because they remind us of some template that was created in our past. An experience. And the most obvious example of this would be, for instance, something like uh, heartbreak. Not doing that again. That really sucked. But for those of us who have had our hearts crushed many, many times, we recognize it's totally worth it. We start recognizing that there is something so edifying about risking at that level. Our relationship to that pain can change the more we watch it. This is not to say that it is a healthy thing necessarily for us to throw ourselves at the feet of a situation that is no doubt going to stomp on us. In other words, we can be addicted to getting abused. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about being so present with whatever it is that we do, with whatever past thing is coming up or whatever future thing is coming up in our present moment that our relationship to all those things begins to kind of open up. It begins to change. A new choice is afforded us in each moment. Indulge me here for two seconds while I, I read a couple of paragraphs. At some point during spiritual work, practitioners recognize that each situation in life, no matter how glorious or horrific, offers an opportunity to know with a capital K, no with a capital K, the deep choices that come from the realignment of our intentions, from the shallowness of the small self to the depth and infinite nature of the big self. Practitioners recognize that everything in their life, in every way, conspires to put them in a position of absolute enlightened potential. Depending only on how they choose to respond to whatever arises in their awareness, Practitioners then see that all that is needed to choose fearlessly to surrender into awakening at every possible opportunity is just this. Just this. Just what is happening right now. These opportunities for intentional surrender are always already, excuse me, always ready to meet us if we are ready to commit to meeting them. They show up as everything in every moment. And when we give them our full attention, a new life awaits, one that is inhabited by a deep peace regardless of whatever circumstance might arise. Choosing to show up consciously helps all of the successes and pain of our past and all of the hopes and fears of our future to fall away as insubstantial monuments of an inherently unstable way of living. This falling away doesn't diminish our glory or our pain, but we suddenly aren't subject to being caught by these feelings when we make choices from a deeply conscious place. The big self doesn't need the praise, nor does it feel the blame from anything or anyone. And this non-attachment enables us to begin to forgive and to take full responsibility for the way that we live in each and every moment. And it begins there with forgiveness. Spiritual work begins with forgiveness of ourself, of someone that we perceive, you know, who we perceive has wronged us, of a, of a situation that has wronged us. We begin to deal with our past. 
We begin to change the relationship we have. We begin to choose a different way. One that is free from needing the praise or needing to blame anyone or anything. We're free from that. Our relationship to all that has changed. And in that freedom, fearlessness arises. And that fearlessness is exactly, it is precisely what we need to meet this moment as it is. To meet chaos with care. We forgive it. Think about that word, forgive. Forgiveness is an offering. Two more paragraphs and then I'll shut up here. Choosing this way of living means that we enter into a life of an integrated openness where blame and victimization, like all other egoic stories, lose their grip on our experience and fall away from what is real in us. Once this happens, we realize that there can be no awakening of any authenticity unless we choose to let go of any and all traces of past grievances against all people in all situations. When we become free of blame and forgive, we begin to open ourselves to all beings just as a mother opens her arms to receive her beloved child. But along with this openness that starts to inform our every step comes a recognition that we can never, that we can never rely on anything. Openness and forgiveness show us that ego can't count on anything except change. As frightening as this may sound to the ego, this realization means that our choices become guides to a surprisingly beautiful realm of total potential rather than expectations tied to finite outcomes. This realization brings about an equanimity that supports the grace and ease of a deeply felt surrender to the mystery and the wonder of all aspects of life. That's the teaching. That's just one way of saying what I pretty much say each and every week, at least I have for about the last seven years. Um, so you can all go home now. And uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, I mean, that's it. That's it. Every one of us in this room makes choices. And the choices pull us in one of two directions. They either take us towards that in us which is small, or that in us, which is big. Every choice you make, every choice I make, every choice. And so to be present enough to where you can see your choices as they arise, as they show up, that allows for you to make what we might call spiritually informed choices that are coming from a place of maturity, of a spiritually mature, a deeply grounded or centered place. And in so doing, all sorts of great things show up. And all the bad things that show up no longer carry the same weight. Here's to weightlessness.
small self and the story runs. You were talking momentarily about blame, and I, and today in this market, I was watching and listening, <laughs> etc. And I ended up, oh my heavens, you know, if only I hadn't done this, or if I hadn't done that, or if I'd managed things differently, and and that's blaming myself. But I wondered where the line was. I mean, I could have just as easily said it about somebody else. Oh. Somebody did this or somebody did that. The line between blame and responsibility. Where is it that you're that you're assuming personal responsibility for something versus keeping blame on yourself? Right. Where that's a great question. It's like where does where does the line for accountability right. or responsibility and then blame for not living up to that uh, commitment uh, come in? Is that kind of where you're going with it, or? Yeah, or? I, I'm, the, the line is fuzzy. You know, where is it that I've tried to be responsible and do things right, and you know, things aren't working out, and it's it's my choices. That were, they were your choices, choices, but so let's look at un, let's look at what's underneath those choices, because what's underneath every choice is either a conscious or unconscious unconscious intention. So, was your Conscious or unconscious, un, God, boy, I'm having a hard time with that one tonight. Your conscious or unconscious intention, was it coming from a place that was generous to all concerned? Especially yourself in that package? In my original decision? Mm -hmm. Yes, I thought so. Then there is no blame. I, mean, I thought it was a good decision. In other words, we think it's a good decision. It's coming from a place. It's come, I mean, blame is the way ego can, can turn, or the small self can turn anger inward. And it fuels this cool thing called guilt, which is just about the most powerful emotion we have. Because the reason why it's so powerful is because it, it weighs more heavily uh, on our ability to... It, it's, it's actually like a very, very thick curtain veiling awakening from our experience. Okay? So the basically what you're articulating there is very it's very uh, um, it's very natural but it's also not very helpful because what it what it does then is it it, it, it you can almost feel how it makes us feel small, right? Mm -hmm. And that's analogous to allowing the small self to increase its gravity to make us tight again, as opposed to being kind of fluid and loose and open. And it will use blame, and it will use guilt, even if the intention was pure. And the basis, of, part of the basis in blame is anger? Hmm. Uh, basis in blame is actually a way of staving off fear. In other words, we will use blame as a way to compartmentalize and categorize this thing we call fear, which is always something that comes in the future, that we're not sure what's going what's to happen. And because we're not sure what's going to happen and we're not okay with being totally vulnerable to the fact that there is no control, we control what we can by creating a story or a little compartmentalized box that we can put something in. That is blame. Damn it. You know, type of thing. Uh, 
does that? Yeah, but where, what, what was the point that you made about anger? I mean, you know, I'm angry at these people who sure. did whatever. Yeah, is, right. Is this taking part of that and turning it back around? And trying right, well, when blame, blame can be either external or internal. And when it's internal, it usually results in this thing called guilt. Mm -hmm. And when it's, when it's external, it usually results in this thing we call anger. And what anger does is anger keeps us, anger comes from a place of unenlightenment. It comes from a small self story about how things should be, and I know the right outcome, and this clearly is not it, and those, they, they're clearly idiots, and they're greedy bastards, and they should all have their Bentleys taken away. And I should have them as penance for, yeah, I don't like Bentleys, but you get the idea. I want to, you know, whatever the, whatever the case. So we have this story that the small self authors about what should happen. And so the peace that comes from stillness is the recognition that the small self isn't necessarily right. It's not necessarily wrong, but whether it's right or it's wrong becomes superfluous to this present moment. And carrying that into the very harsh reality of a personal tragedy or a financial, personal financial meltdown or whatever, that is not easy. I'm not, don't, don't get me wrong. But it is the teaching. It is the practice. And, uh, you know, as, as, as horrible as this sounds, um, this tragedy, uh, you know, this, this market collapse, what, it, what was it that... Uh, Somebody said today, someone who, it wasn't, it wasn't Bernanke or Paulson, but it was one of the people who kind of knows what they're talking about in, in the big scope, said this is a once every hundred year type situation. We are in the middle of a perfect financial storm. And this perfect financial storm is a perfect reminder that no matter how well we think we've got it all planned out, sorry. Sorry, be ready for the surprise. Be ready for the surprise. It's uplifting, isn't it? <laughs> Anyone else? Yeah, Kim. I've been wondering about how you tell the difference between the watcher and the witness and the enlightened What's the difference between the watcher, or what we sometimes call the witness, mm -hmm. and the enlightened ego? The enlightened ego will always feel a certain affinity or resistance. That's the best way to put it. The enlightened ego still feels resistance. It still feels, mm -mm 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 -mm. I'm not doing that, I'm doing this. The witness will notice that the ego has resistance. The witness will notice that the enlightened ego is pushing away from something or trying to go after something else. But if the ego has an agenda, which is to become enlightened, mm -hmm. isn't it the ego that's um, noticing that, you know, leaning towards enlightenment? Yeah. As opposed to just witnessing it? The witness notices the ego's lean. Okay, so let, let's, this is a great question. What, what happens is, 
as we start going along in spiritual practice, there's a sense that arises in the small self. And it always sounds something like this. Oh, I get it. Or it says something like, oh, I'm in the now. <laughs> I'm in the now. Right? And it's that I that may very well have an inkling of that now. Okay? Or an inkling of, uh, you know, a, a, an awakened space. And then it start, starts to manage it. Starts to analyze it. Starts to do once again. Starts to compartmentalize and, you know, kind of contract around it. And then turn it into an identity. And instead of just being or being I am is another way of saying being. Do you kind of get that? I am without any predicate there. Just I am is being. Instead of just being, I am, it is always and forever still I am something else. I am awake. I am. And the witness of that whole scenario, the thing that can watch this whole thing transpire, merely has and forever wears an infinite smile. It sees what's going on. It knows what's going on. It doesn't try to change, move it, hide it, fade it, fix it. It just sees it. And once the ego is exposed to that light of awareness, it starts to lose its power. And then a whole new transfiguration kind of, kind of occurs. It's a whole nother step in the process. Lots of us will plateau at that enlightened ego place for quite a while before all of a sudden the witness finally has enough, if you will, uh, uh, power in its presence. The light that it shines is bright enough to expose that, that plateau and where, the, where the small self wearing the Buddha's robe is playing that boom, now we go into a whole nother realm. Paying attention, the witness, for me, that, that's work. That's, it takes effort. It just isn't automatic. Okay, right. To, to kind of fall back into it. Right. That's because the center of gravity that no, most of us have normally is in this contracted space. So it's like literally kind of going, oh, yeah. But awareness is not effortful for you. Consider your right foot at this very moment. <laughs> okay, can you, can you be aware of it? Mm -hmm. Can you be aware of how your jaw feels? How about your left shoulder? Can you be aware of that? Mm -hmm. You move that all around your body at light speed without any effort, right? That's the witness. Okay? It's always there. In fact, it's never not there. But isn't the ego directing the witness? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. The witness is aware of the ego trying to shake its tiny fists up at the stars, essentially. Witness is space. The ego is like an amoeba. <laughs> Just, wah. You know? <laughs> All right? The witness is never not there. The witness is what contains the ego. But in my effort to witness, to be aware, to be awake, that feels like it's being directed by the ego. Okay. It's not, but okay. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying not to be aware as best you can, and that's the ego, and that which is aware of the ego trying, okay? 
the little experiment that I just did with you, pointing out how you can be aware of all that stuff, there was nothing impeding that. Right? It's like, where does, where does the earth arise? The, the earth arises out of space. Where does the universe arise? Space. The witness is space. And that's all we're teaching. Space. Yeah. Last question, yeah. So when I'm not aware of the witness, it, okay, it's still there, but why am I not aware of it? Uh, the wit it it's really the witness being aware of itself to get technical, you know? And we have all sorts of what we might call karma that gets in the way of that free functioning flow of that witnessing awareness, right? I mean, we're, we are practiced, especially in this culture, here in the hard edge of suburbia, we are absolutely conditioned to live in certain ways that are absolutely about negating or pushing away the infinity as opposed to letting it consciously inform our lives. And that's why this is such an amazing experiment. <laughs> what, what we're doing in this room. I mean, can it work here? Right? The idea was, no, it can never work in uh, any type of environment where people are distracted by normal living. So we will take it and put it way up on a mountain or deep into a forest or somewhere outside. And this is an experiment. I'm very encouraged. Very encouraged. Yeah. I have no idea if I just answered your question or not. I just kind of started going off there. Sorry about that. Enough for now. Enough for now. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming tonight.